Hello and welcome to The Retro, that's Agile Podcast. You can get us on Twitter at The Retro Pod and we've just recorded an absolute cracker of an episode. We've been talking about that dirty word that is HR and introducing Agile to a world where it didn't previously exist. What did you think, Tom? You know what? I really enjoyed this episode. It was great to talk to Natal and I've learned so much. A lot of it has been validation and a lot of things have been totally new to me. We've learned about, you know, thinking about HR as a product, using things like design thinking. We've thought about things like, you know, solving problems, getting people together, product ownership and getting that into agile teams, agile HR teams, I should say. And most interestingly, dealing with the complex squidgy things that we like to call humans and how we can deliver better services for them. Absolutely. She's a maverick and a pioneer, and we hope you enjoy listening to her as much as we did. Enjoy. Hello there, and welcome to The Retro, that agile podcast. You can get us on Twitter as The Retropod, all one word. My name is Tom Hoyland. You can get me on Twitter as That Agile. And as ever, I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Bennett. How are you doing, Tom? I'm really good. Thanks, mate. And you can get me on Twitter as well at Bennett Agile. And we've got a great episode today. We're joined by the co-founder of PXO Culture, the founder of the Agile HR community, a consultant, a coach, and one of the pioneers of the Agile HR movement, Miss Natal Dank. How are you doing? Mrs. Natal Dank, how are you doing? I think, though, I generally go as Ms, really. Yeah. So I've never gone for the, the, the Mrs. over the years. I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? <laughs> Really, really well, thank you. Really well, thanks for joining us. How is um, how is it in sunny Scotland? It is sunny, so I'm yeah, fully enjoying it. And uh, it's not always sunny, <laughs> as many people probably know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, it's not very often we get to interview a uh, a pioneer, but when he, when we do, I, th- I feel like it's important to to rewind a little bit and, and and dig into your background a little bit and kind of understand who you are before we get into the thick of of where you're at today so would you mind giving us a little snapshot into um into you into me okay uh in terms of i suppose how it relates to the world of agile hr um my background uh was business prior to HR, which I think probably means I've always approached human resources with more of a commercial lens um, and always been very mindful of the customer and the business. Um, So I started in business. I then found myself in a kind of like learning coaching type role. And I did that for a number of years. And I just discovered that actually the people side of business was so much more me rather than the numbers side, which is what I was kind of in to begin with. And But what it did mean was that I was actually in sort of people development type roles and jobs for a number of years before I actually sat in a HR team. And so when I first sat in a HR team, I was quite surprised that people would come and ask me about things like payroll or grievances or sort of the things that I just didn't really relate to. Um, And at first I used to say, oh, but I'm the, I'm the cool part of HR, um, meaning, oh no, please don't associate me with the, the, the workforce police that HR are often known as, or the human remains as we often get. And then, but then I kind of realized, okay, no, I needed to kind of Um, get into this. And I started to really get into the people strategy part of organizations. How do you build great organizations? How do you really help them kind of flourish, be successful through their people? So I 
I really got into that part of it. I then did a whole range of roles from, you know, culture, talent development, um, learning and development, leadership, all those kind of um, big sort of topics that can sit in the HR space. And I did that in numerous countries and went back to university and did a bit, bit of study in it. Um, but it was when I was then in a role, which was a global head of, of talent and uh, in the Netherlands and for a really big bank. And I was using a 25 box matrix uh, to assess talents because you can never have so too many boxes was the idea. And this made me question where was HR and it made me think I felt like we had lost what it was all about and it was too there was too much process so I went looking for an alternative and that led me ultimately to Agile. Fantastic so when I've been when I've been working with teams building teams and building organizations and, and trying to get organizations from a uh, from let's let's call it a traditional way of thinking about products and, and services for customers and getting them to more towards service thinking, agile thinking and design thinking. One of the biggest challenges that I've always found is taking people on that journey with us. Sometimes your IT organization, your technology organization wants to sprint ahead. It wants to change its operating model and the way it thinks about things. But often we sometimes find that tech is being held back maybe by HR, HR and finance. Now, in the places that I've been, the, the two most important relationships that I've had as, as a tech leader has been with my HR business partner, head of HR, or, and or I should say, our, our directors of finance. Because when you've got those two things really well aligned, amazing things can happen. But going on that journey, it's a big undertaking. How, how do you get people to kind of like start to see HR and finance is not, not cost centers, not people that provide a very discreet input process output service, but actually add value. They become force multipliers. How do you, how do you get people to think in that different way? Loaded, loaded question. <laughs> so, <laughs> how do you make it cool? <laughs> That's also when I do my, my sarcastic, oh no, HR could never be a blocker to your <laughs> agile ways of working. How could you say that? Uh, and finance, oh. <laughs> um, so yep, very good question. And that for me, there's a lot that sits in, in the answer and, and you used a couple of key words, which I wanna kind of come back to. So one of them being value in particular. Um, so for me, there's a, there's a couple of things. First of all, if we are going to build the agile organizations that we're, that we're hoping for, that's part of our goal and our ideal, then I totally agree with you. HR is a core element of that. And because, so, and that's actually led a lot of HR teams or leaders to actually see the need to change. So that's one driver. So for me, agile HR is not just how it can help HR teams actually design better solutions and, you know, um, enrich the employee experience and actually just get better results. It's also our role in building the future organization, well, the organizations of now, really. Um, and I think what's been interesting is that that kind of shift 
for across organizations of embracing more agile ways of working has been happening for a number of years. Um, so, and but they're all for different reasons, aren't they? We want to be more, you know, collaborative. We want to be more customer centric. We need to respond to disruption. We need to innovate. And the context of how you're doing that will be really different. You know, if you're a tech startup, you're going to have a very different kind of approach to it to if you're a legacy bank that's now trying to change. But a lot of them are all trying to get to the same goal. So I think agile as a mindset and ways of working is really building across organizations and HR just has to get comfortable with that. So I'm now seeing, and that's been interesting. A few years ago, it was more just people that maybe were working for tech organizations that would come and say, oh, I, I want to learn more about this. But now I'm just seeing HR across all organizations wanting to know more. So that, that's a good thing. Um, and so the, then the other side is, yes, um, quite quickly, HR processes start to block more team-based collaborative ways of working because there's a legacy in HR that basically reflects the old way that we used to work, this more hierarchical, even um, tailoristic way of working that is quite based on individuals, uh, job structures and grades and the, all these processes that, and a lot of finance actually reflects that as well. So that's why there's a kind of a lot of crossover. Um, so quite quickly, they trip up um, agile teams and HR need to understand how to evolve those. The big danger, however, is if they did it in a non-agile way, they'll go and do this big bang, one size fits all change and just rearrange the process. So for me, there's this huge need for um, HR to understand what agile is. So not only can they get the benefits of working that way, they can actually understand how to build the right processes or maybe even just remove them and also do it in a more agile way. So that's that's kind of... I didn't, I don't think I've quite got back up, to, got to how do I influence people, but that's kind of why HR should definitely um, start to embrace Agile. Yeah. So I really like two things that you've said there. I think the first one is an Agile HR team delivering change in an Agile way. I think, you know, that is a game changer in itself. Uh, so it's not enough to change the way that we were, but it's, it's accepting that we're not going to get this right first time. Nobody's going to get anything right first time. And, and being able to go through that iterative process is really important. For me, almost as a, as a customer of an agile HR team, that's important. And I can have a lot of empathy for that because I know that my needs are going to change. And if, and if I don't know what my needs are right now, I need you as a, an agile HR professional to be able to go, actually, you know, we accept that. We accept that your needs are going to change. So what? Stuff moves on. The second thing that I really liked what you mentioned there was around the, the tailorism. So the, the classical, uh, the scientific management approach that has done quite well over the last, uh, over the last 200 years, but we are, we are not in a factory anymore. We, we are knowledge workers and it's a very different landscape, isn't it? Yeah. And even if you think about um, I don't necessarily know if it's even working in the manufacturing side of things anymore either. You know, if you think about modern manufacturing, you even jump to things like Tesla and SpaceX, and there's a whole new way of working related to that that is uh, very iterative, experimental, you know, fail fast, learn fast, you know, people even talking openly on Twitter of how to put a spaceship into, into the sky and what they got wrong. You know, there's a totally different way of doing a business there. So. Um, but also your answer then is kind of music to my ears because 
What's really interesting is that the legacy of how HR has worked up until now means a lot of HR people can be quite fearful of that, you know, embracing um, a more incremental way of working, this idea of not, not having all the answers up front, not having something shiny and new to release out, not, you know, not, you know, thinking they should blueprint and have everything under control. And to be honest, some senior leaders also expect that still. So there, you know, it's not just HR alone. Sometimes even kind of we're needing to change management way of thinking as well. Um, so for me, working with your, someone like you and your kind of team, that's the best place to start for a HR person. They don't always have that luxury. Fair. Um, that's actually how I discovered Agile. I worked with one of my first kind of projects. Um, was when I left this bank with the 25 boxes, was working with a very agile organization. And I was just challenged by my project sponsor to do it in, in an iterative way. Because um, I presented my blueprint and they said, well, how do you know it's going to work? And I went, oh, well, you know, HR best practice. And oh, I've, you know, I've talked to your people and they said they wanted this. And he's like, well, no, you need to test this. You need to get data. You need to experiment. Uh, and then we'll make some changes based on what you find which of course, once you do it, you're like, oh, of course, that's such a good way of approaching it. And that actually was what really sold me on it. And also is still my biggest driver is this idea of co-creating the employee experience and co-creating change. Because if you do it together, everyone's bought in to where you're going and you're not implementing it out on people, you're building it together. And for me, that is just such a powerful way of working. Um, and if we can do that with our customers just as much as our people, then that's that's a great way of, of working. Take us back to those first conversations then. Right? Put, 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 it, put us in your shoes. You know, you, you're introducing this concept to a world where it hadn't previously existed um, or certainly not in this shape or form. How did you go about leaving those, those, those fears and those concerns that you just spoke about then when you were talking about influencing, um, you know, HR people and, and, and stakeholders within that space? Well, I still have that conversation nearly every day. I would have to just point that out. So still um, fresh in the slowly mind, but surely uh, do I uh, kind of get everyone feeling comfortable about this way of working. Um, so thinking about the journey was, so what what did happen? So I, I, um, I left that role and I was just kind of fortunate to be asked to come and help an organization transform performance and reward but for an agile way of working. So, and in that organization at the time, the HR processes were still quite traditional, but the teams were working in a very agile way. So I kind of was just given this great opportunity and I was, I was you know, almost forced to work in a different way. But I was also working with people like Tom who are really open to this idea of experimenting and testing things. And so that that was great because I would go to these teams and say, oh, would you like to test, uh, find out how to do performance differently or how the best way to do feedback? And they're like, of course, you know. Um, and I often talk about that project as a learning for me because I one part of it, I gave some teams this feedback app, thinking that this would be a great way to help them give performance feedback to each other. And because they were techies, I was like, oh, they're going to love this. And they hated it. And um, they hated it because they needed a psychological safe space to give each other feedback. They just didn't, they didn't need an app, you know. And I, I always reflect on the fact that previously I might have rolled this app 
um, out to the whole organization as the new way you do performance and which we see a lot, you know, the system is released out to, to be the way of doing the behaviors. So, so that also taught me that a, a safe experiment, you, you can fail. And actually that's a good thing because you then learn what the real problem is and what you need to go and solve. So, so that was a really interesting experience. So I left that and it wasn't even until after that kind of project that I went, oh, there's something in that. I'm going to call it Agile HR. And I found a few other people and it literally was just one or two um, other people around the world that were also starting to talk to this idea of Agile HR. Um, so I connected up with them and we, you know, we started to kind of be in contact. And, um, but I was the only one in, you know, the UK, I was the only one in place or Australia, which I'd go to a lot. And so there was just literally a couple of us around the world. And so I started a meetup uh, in London at the time. And I was, you know, my first meetup was about 20 people in a basement type flat type thing where it was pretty depressing. Um, but we had some, you know, we had some booze. So, you know, and, um, but it was really interesting. So I had quite a few, I had a few tech people turn up to oversee that I was talking correctly to Agile because they were like, who's this HR person talking about Agile? So I had a few kind of- Oh dear, did the I Agile know, police get you? Yeah, the I had Agile, the Agile police, police yeah. and I was approved. <laughs> so at the end they said, oh, we actually approve. You talk very well to the topic. I thought, oh, thank you very much. And um, and then and a couple of just kind of forward thinking HR people. And what was often the case at the start was I would get, say like a HR business partner that was now looking after the tech part of the company and they were meeting people like Tom and then realizing and being asked to change the people practices. So, so, um, so then, and then I just started doing these meetups. They got bigger and bigger. We started to do them in different parts of the country and then even different parts of the world. And, um, we now have, you know, the, you know, we then ended up with hundreds of people after, you know, a couple of years um, and then I was just really fortunate to be asked by quite forward thinking HR leaders at the time to come and help them. Um, we think we need to do this agile thing. Usually they were connected to something going on in the business. Could you, could you help us? And so I, I, I believe I was one of the first people to actually run actual kind of transformation kind of projects with HR teams of how do they start to use Agile directly in their team, not just how do they build people practices to support them. And it's just grown from that. And that was kind of like, I don't know, six, seven years ago or something now. So what provokes those conversations then in your experience, those when you're getting those those forward thinking HR leaders coming to you and saying, we think we need to do this agile thing. Where does that typically come from? Is, that, is, it, is, is it an exposure to tech? Is it a sort of a peer through the window at the way that, you know, a, a, a tech or a product delivery function is working mm. um, and sort of thinking, I want to, I'd like a little bit of that. Um, or is it something else? There's a, so I would say that was the primary one initially. I think it's definitely starting to change, but that was often the primary driver. So um but if you think about, if I think about some of the first organizations I worked with, there was a range of organizations, like some of them were, were retail, some of them were, you know, very, very tech orientated, some of them were, you know, market research, you know, um, but all of them were trying to digitalize or change their offering to their customer. And this meant that they saw Agile as a way to do that. And so either Agile was already in the organization 
possibly linked to some kind of digital transformation or need to innovate. Um, the really big market researcher, like this was a big company, they were, um, they were just, they were being disrupted. Their market was being disrupted. Their research products weren't um, answering the customer questions anymore. And so they saw this whole need to reskill their people and, and basically redesign their product offering. And um, a key person in HR saw that they needed an agile kind of mindset to do that. So it's sort of, um, you know, and there was a big, there's been a big insurance company, another one comes to mind, and they were, they saw that they needed to develop their future leaders in a more agile way, because agile leaders are the, the you know, the way to do business going forward. And then they thought, well, hang on, we should do this ourselves if we're going to be trying to develop people to think like this. So it's sort of, so there's, there's usually either a link connected to tech or a need to kind of change the way the business is working that they go, yep, HR need to be a part of that. And we need to change the people practices, or there's this recognition that just an agile mindset or an agile leadership style or an agile kind of thinking is what the business needs and therefore HR should help develop that um, in a kind of skills way. Nice one. So when we when we often talk about agile, uh, we will often contrast agile with a traditional way of working. We always, you know, say, oh, well, waterfall was like this. So this is what agile is like with all its many different flavors. With agile HR then, Take us on that journey. I'm sure there will be uh, listeners on this podcast thinking, oh, I know about my HR team, my people team. I know what they're like. They're very traditional. It's very old fashioned, very 19th century. Tell us what the difference is. Let's imagine that you take that team on a transformation. What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like in six months time? How are we going to be engaging with that fictitious team? What's it going to be like? Well, there's definitely no one size fits all um, and uh, and it's very contextual. So I often talk about the, so quite early on, you have to be very realistic about the context in which you're working and the culture in which you're working. So um, if, if it's a HR team that's in an environment where there's other teams that are already working in a more iterative way, they're, they're using experimentation, they understand what things like sprints and, um, you know, and user testing and all of that means, then the, the language and the approach, um, I think, can be quite different to if it's a, so I've, I've, I have worked with HR teams who are in a much more traditional organization, no one's using agile. And so in that environment, they're not even necessarily gonna use the word agile straight away because it scares people. So, um, so there is uh, quite a different starting position, I think. Um, and then I also talk about that there's no use embracing agile unless you know the problem you're trying to solve. So. Um, you know, what are you trying to solve here? So for the HR team themselves, is it that you need to prioritize better? Is it that you need to um, design better kind of products and services? Do you need to be more human centric in what you're doing? Do you need to measure value better? You know, so what are the, what are you actually trying to achieve? Um, uh, just as the same as if an, an, an organization is embracing agile, I would want to know what the purpose is behind it. So, so that's also um, clear because I think if you have some key kind of um, 
drivers like that, then you can be more sure about where to start. So uh, a nice area to start is actually using just some kind of some of the design thinking elements that start to come out in Agile. And so this idea of, you know, okay, um, how do you actually understand the problem better? How do you, you know, understand the user's experience of the current process or the, the, the blockers that are happening? And then how would you actually um, think about designing that user experience in a, in a different way and then actually prototype and test? So just, just doing that. And that's actually not necessarily going and using a, a Kanban board yet or, you know, prioritizing your work in a new way. That's actually just understanding how could you use some of these techniques to prototype and test better solutions before you release it out across the business. And that means what you're going to experience is uh, ideally uh, a multi-skilled HR team, maybe even with some business people in there, who knows, um, doing, it could even be very, um, so doing some work where they might kind of do some user experience mapping, or they might, you know, want to understand what's going on for you. Um, and then ask if they could test a prototype with you. Um, and then based on your feedback, uh, invite you to be the first part of experiencing that for three months or, or using the new kind of tool. Um, so a good example of something like that is a team that um, went, uh, okay, there's something wrong with our management development. They're running these big two-day programs, uh, taking managers out of the workplace, you know, to attend this learning program. You could only ever um, have so many people learning it so, so you know, um, so many times a year. Um, and most managers were way too busy to ever attend these programs. But everyone wanted to learn. That was the idea. So like, okay, there's something wrong with this setup. So what if we just came at this in a totally different way? So they went and tried to find, they went and spent time with the managers. What's going on for you? What, what, do, you, what do you need learning for? What's, your, what's the problems that you're trying to solve? And that's exactly what they found out is that managers didn't see the need to go and attend a feedback program, they would see a problem that they need to solve. So, oh, well, tomorrow I've got to go and have this really hard conversation with someone and I've got to give them feedback. I really need to learn how to do that better. But they would want to do that at the time that the, the conversation's coming up. Yeah. Um, or I've got to go and hire someone for my team and I'm not really sure how to do that. That's, that's something that I would like to learn about. So they started to prototype and test ways of if you could have learning more bite-sized, more digital, maybe speak to a coach, you know, so these small solutions that were available at the time that the manager had the problem, or, hey, how could you even know when they had the problem and started to send it to them at that time? Would they engage differently with it? Would they want to do it? Would they you know, and actually it worked. So then they started to build out this whole new approach to management development. They actually totally stopped all face-to-face two-day programs and then re essentially built this sort of on-demand learning approach for their managers. And then that went out across the business. So that's a great example of by understanding what's going on for your people and also using their language, you know, so managers didn't want a competency framework or, uh, you know, these, all these kind of things that we all know about. Um, they wanted an, uh, you know, an email that said, Hey, do you have a problem? Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm going to click on my learning. Um, 
so that that's one area and then the other area probably to just quickly talk about of how it looks and feels is this idea of um you know the multi-skilled team solving problems together and prioritizing their work with that through value so um and so traditionally hr um has is quite a siloed part of the business so it's siloed from the business but then within hr there's all these single topic owners so you have someone that looks after learning you have someone that looks after recruitment you have someone that looks after hr business partnering you know and um and then every there's even back in my day there was you know only certain people that were allowed to speak to someone in the business so i used to design learning solutions for example but i wasn't supposed to speak to the people that i was designing it for that should have been the hr business partners role you know so all these kind of strange kind of setups that we had um and so that's saying okay well that's not going to work because actually to solve complex problems we all need each other's expertise and actually a business problem generally requires all of those kind of skills not just one um, so one of the key other things that you start to see is a much more kind of combined uh, approach that is then using, you know, agile techniques to think about the value they're delivering, how they're measuring it, what's the tangible thing that they're delivering, what is a kind of, you know, either one sprint or, uh, you know, cycle of work look like? What are they going to try and achieve in that time? What are they, what can't they commit to and what will they commit to? So much more of that kind of product mindset, I suppose, coming through in how they work. I really like what you've said there, especially, I think that there are, I really like everything you've said there, mm -hmm. let's be fair. Uh, but there are a number of things in there that have, have kind of like really got me interested. The first one, was where you started to talk about thinking about HR and, and those types of services as, as a product, as an experience and getting people involved in it, the people that who are going to be interacting with those teams, product owners and product ownership. That's a massive thing. The second thing that I really liked about that was it was the acknowledgement that people that work in HR, they are knowledge workers and they are, in some cases, in some organizations, being siloed. We've talked about Taylorism already. And you know what? I've seen HR teams that you've got Taylorism slapped all over it. You can see that you've got different teams that are specializing in one place. You know, we're sweating those people. We're trying to get the most out of them. We're trying to maximize our functional efficiency, but actually we're delivering a pretty poor service when it all comes together and it's all joined up. But I think finally, the really thing that the really interesting thing that I liked about what you said was bringing those people together to solve those problems because. HR is not made up of people on the production line. You're not working in a simple space. You're working with the most complex of thing, things of all, human beings, which are pretty complex, let's, let's face it. And the best way to deal with those complex adaptive domains, we talk a lot about VUCA these days, volatile, uh, adaptive, uh, you know, chaotic environments. The best ways to approach those problems is by having that ingenuity, those multi-skilled, multifaceted teams coming together to, to deal with those challenging problems. So really love everything you've said there. No, I'm also so um, sorry, Tom, the other Tom wanted to get in, but I'll just say, I'm glad that you've, you've, you agree because um, what's really interesting, and this is a quite a big dilemma for, uh, for HR, but I think a lot of parts of the business that um, are kind of maybe business support functions, 
So there's a lot of HR that's presumed business as usual or you know, operations and processes. And that also trips them up. They think, oh, well, how do I be agile in that? Um, but, but a lot of the problems they're trying to solve are hugely complex. complex. So, you know, building the hybrid workforce of post-coronavirus pandemic, you know, um, in uh, retaining talent, you know, in a global marketplace, uh, finding the right talent, um, building leaders for roles that we don't know we need yet, you know, or find, you know, bringing skills together for business problems. So there's really, in, you know, well-being, what does well-being mean um, and how do you enrich it and how do you come, you know, how do you build it within an organisation? So these are really big complex topics that actually you don't know the answers yet straight away and you have to work in a more emergent way, which exactly is what Agile's for. Um, also, what's really interesting is helping HR understand um, how to sort of where to go and use that more experimental test and learn approach in their topics, but also where Agile can help them just become much more prioritised and clear on where to spend their time at the right time with that more of that business as usual. Um, so a, a good example is I'm working with the team at the moment. It's quite a large HR um, team of about 100 people. And we are trying to introduce this. So well, leading into it, quite a few different teams have been using agile practices. They do a lot of design thinking. So they're quite product mindset um, based in this team overall. But for a long time, they've been wanting to get better at actually demonstrating the value that they deliver and actually prioritizing their work better as a whole function. And so we've, we've started this sort of simple cadence of, you know, every month we're doing some adapting and planning and here's our key priorities. Okay, then we're checking in, then we're doing a kind of product review and, a, and retrospective. So we're trying to just bring in that basic agile cadence. But what's really interesting is we tried to build the portfolio of work that we are kind of going to talk to in that process. And all everyone saw so much of what they were working on as expected business as usual, even though a lot of it, there was a choice of work of doing that over something else. Um, and so they were just taking on more and more and more and more work. So they were running, you know, great well-being um, sessions to help people in the pandemic, you know, and deal with stress through to the business was actually having problems in the recruitment space. And that was actually a big topic that needs to be dealt with. Um, so they were just trying to stretch themselves across everything. And they and we asked them to actually give us information about the work that they're doing. And people just listed everything as business as usual must have. And it was just amazing to see. And it really opened my eyes to, oh, okay, actually got to help HR people even start to understand what I kind of product development is and how you make choices about where you spend your time and where you don't and everything's a risk value kind of trade-off you know so some of these kind of simple tools I suppose that people in tech and product development have been using for a number of years I can just see can really enrich how HR go about things. I completely agree with that people and, and employees are are so volatile in terms of their mindset and the way that they feel that BAU can mean something completely different 
in February than it does in March. Well, that's it. totally, yeah, because if you're then dealing with people, you know, you're just dealing with people's issues all the time. And actually, yeah, so exactly, that's another great point. Exactly, that the people element makes BAU <laughs> really volatile in itself, yeah. Absolutely. So how do you go about measuring impact then? Because if, 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 our, if our product is our people, um, you know, as, as Tom mentioned before, people are complex um, and it's, 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 not as, it's not as black and white as a number on a screen often. So how do you, how do you go about measuring impact and, and, and value um, as you're going through these processes of iteration? Um, so I think you need, to, um, you need to see what's applicable to the different um, scenarios, but I think it's, I actually treat it more, you know, like a product. So I'm looking at what are some immediate indicators that I can, I can um, get hold of. So that might be people using the, the tool that's being produced, uh, direct feedback from people on what is it, you know, does it help them? Does it solve their problems? Do they, um, do they find it useful? Um, through to, you know, is this enabling um, a more productive work uh, method of working? You know, there might be some studies you can be doing about actual productivity or how work is getting done. So I would be looking at kind of more immediate indicators. And then, of course, you've got your classic, what is kind of more lag indicators in the HR space, uh, which you know all about, which is, you know, engagement and satisfaction and, um, you know, people recommending the organization to other people. So your um, employer net promoter score and all of these. So you definitely still want to link through to those. I think you've just got to be really clear that that is not going to necessarily shift immediately and that that involves behavioral change so what what is the kind of what are you going to measure and more immediately versus what do you measure over time um yeah. so and i think that's actually quite a good thing to think about because um i don't know about you guys but i find that a lot of hr teams often think about the lag indicators first. So, oh, we're going to run this project and I want to see engagement, you know, improved. Um, but engagement is a really big kind of measure. And it actually, there's a lot of things in, involved there. And generally there's needs to be some time to change people's perceptions. So actually getting uh, HR to think more about, well, what would you measure immediately? What would be the the, the tangible thing that you would actually release and how would you measure whether it's successful or not versus that long-term kind of behavioral change, perception change. Yeah. And I, I, no, go on, Tom. I, I was just going to say it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because with a product like an app, like if, if you like an app, you're probably going to still like it tomorrow. But if you're trying to measure someone's well-being, that capture of that snapshot in time can be very different one day to the next. So Definitely, it's yes. important, isn't it, to have a baseline and then to and then to sort of set those longer term those longer term objectives and measures to try and capture real sort of thoughts, feelings, and impact um, rather than just a bad mood the next day. <laughs> totally, totally, and and also be quite clear on. Um, yeah, try and I suppose how much can you separate it out from the influence of all these other factors versus them using that actual app. Um, and so, and this is where I think HR can learn from areas like product development and IT, which is the more 
the more digital you make some of the solutions, the more kind of trackable you make the, the solutions that you're designing, the more self-service elements there are in, you're going to be able to get data to tell you whether people are, you know, looking at the information, reading emails, um, pressing on buttons, you know, that, uh, so that, which means they're engaging with whatever you've created. Now, I'm not saying every solution should be digital, but the more you have that element in it, the more you can track um, usage. And that's a good thing to have because you can actually, you know, that's kind of some immediate measures. Um, I think also another thing is that I um, am a big believer in, HR solutions impacting the business bottom line and also flowing through to the end customer of the organization. So whatever you're doing, you should be enabling people to be good in their job that then leads to business benefits and the, cust the end customer buying more products or using the services or using the community services, whether you're, you're profit or not for profit. And so the more that HR can measure that flow through and also understand how they connect into that, I think the more successful the solutions are as well. I really like how you've how you've linked those two things together. And I think one of the points that I was going to come in was, with was it's about not just metrics and metrics sake, because we can collect lots of metrics. And in, in a lot of cases, they are going to be vanity metrics, metrics that may matter to HR and people teams, but at the end of the day actually they don't matter at all to the individuals that are using those products and services and ultimately they don't actually contribute towards the bottom line yes hr in isolation looks like it's doing a fantastic job you know lag time is down cycle time is down for processing requests but you know should we be even be in the business of accepting those requests should we be trying to divert people away from those processes do we want to increase them or do we actually want to get out of that business altogether uh, definitely, exactly, and um, and I. So, so for me, the more that we can start linking, you know, I think learning's a really good example. The more you can start linking learning solutions to the business need, to the flow of work, um, then that's sort of the ideal, isn't it? So, um, and if people are thinking that what they're learning is actually just part of their job and it's actually helping them do their job. They don't see it as this add-on to what they're, they're doing each day. Um, you could take something like performance as another example. The more that the discussions around performance and giving feedback and measuring performance, the more that that's just linked to the everyday and it's allowed to happen in team conversations, it's allowed to happen in retros, and it doesn't need to always equal this form filling and this separate conversation that's a bit more top down, the more people will want to engage in it and see that it helps them get the job done. So I, for me, the whole way that we have to go with a lot of HR solutions is in that direction as well. So the more we understand the flow of work and how it feeds through to delivering value to the end customer, the better. Now, I've got an interesting one, and uh, and this this uh, this is one that's quite close to my heart. When I recruit people, I always recruit them based on behaviours uh, and what that person can do now, but also what is their aptitude, what is their desire for learning, and, and kind of like growing as an individual, and then how is that going to contribute to the wider team but in a lot of organizations i'm going to go back to the example that you started off our podcast with today there's going to be a form it's going to have a matrix on it it's going to have 25 different skills on it and my hands are tied i just want to hire a person i just want to get them in 
but I will hear people from HR and people services say time and time again, well, Tom, we've got to have this form. If we don't have this form with all these things on, we open ourselves up to risk. But then my, my point is, well, there's a risk that we might actually hire this person. I want to hire the right person. How do we get past that mindset of risk avoidance and get to, to that risk and reward balance that you've talked about? Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. And I, I think it's funny that HR over the years have become all known about the kind of compliance element and that risk management element. Because when you speak to a lot of people in HR, most of them are there because they, they're like this people person and they, they want to, you know, like I went into it because I like working with people and I went into developing people. And yeah, so it, I find it interesting that the two have kind of become so aligned. Um, but it's, it's um, I think Agile can help with that because um, in Agile, you talk a lot about your knowing your constraints and then innovating within them. And so if, so what I do with, with teams is, okay, well, what, I, name the constraints up front. Oh, do we think we need to meet this compliance need doing it and then actually test them. Uh, how much is this something that really has to happen? Um, and does it actually have to happen through the process? Or are we actually already safe in certain ways because we're meeting certain criteria? So that's something to also do. But the second thing is to then go, all right, now let's go and look at what what experience we need to create or enable in the business. So, you know, if we went and looked at that recruitment situation, how do we make sure where we're hiring the best people or how are, how do we want to hire? We want to hire based on behaviors or culture fit or the, you know, kind of what they can um, offer the organization. Okay. If that's the case, we need to create a kind of user experience process like this. Now let's go back to that form. You know, can we, bring the two together. So I try and break it down in that way. Um, and, you know, I always call it, I call it innovating within constraints. And that's what HR need to learn how to do a bit better. I think not lead with constraints, actually understand how to, that they're just part of what you do and you still need to design for the user experience first. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And I think, I think really good organizations and some of the HR teams and people services teams that have worked really well and have, have adapted to a different way of working have been the ones that are not afraid to almost take a bit of a bet and say, actually, we're going to drop this from this iteration of this form. And you know what? We're going to see what happens next. What's the worst that could happen? It's almost the Dr. Pepper approach. Uh, but what we want to do is we want to see then, well, what's the impact? I mean, if Dr. Pepper's listening. We are open for sponsorship. I think we're all right out with Tom. I'm more of a Diet Coke man myself, but yeah, I don't, well, don't I mind don't know. Ronaldo's showing the way, guys. It's 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 spring water and it's you know no longer these sugary drinks. This oh. thing. So. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it is that risk and reward thing, isn't it? It's it's it being able to have that balance, but like you've said there, understanding which of those constraints are real and which ones are imagined, because in a lot of organizations, and it's not just in HR, it's also in product delivery as well, something bad will have happened before in the past. But that single bad event has distorted and affected everything else. Something has magically appeared on a checklist somewhere to prevent that thing from ever happening again. And actually, does it add any value? Is that thing ever going to happen again? All it does is it kind of squeezes innovation in some cases, and it creates more constraints. And in some cases, in my experience, a lot of those constraints are just imagined. I don't know about you. 
Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is, so in the world of HR, what happened is that we started to manage for the low, the lowest performer. So not even just low performer, but the, the worst performer. So you hear a lot of people say, oh, but what about if someone, what if someone's not performing well, what are we going to do? And so a lot of, if I go back to performance again, that's what led to needing to have ratings even. Oh, well, we need to make sure there's a, a rating to demonstrate that someone's not performing because what if we have to go to tribunal? That's always this discussion. But the reality is, is when they've done research, they showed that managers don't like to give the low rating anyway, even if someone's performing low. Um, any kind of performance should be a real-time conversation because it can reflect so many different things. It might reflect that the person's not suited to that role. It might reflect that they're having a bad day. So you actually need to unpack it. And a rating, you know, a couple of times a year doesn't, or one time a year doesn't reflect that. And then also when they've actually studied anything that goes to tribunal, never have they actually really used, gone back to these ratings because they haven't actually meant it anything. So what also happened is we started to create these processes that was going for sort of, I suppose, the lowest common you know, denominator or the kind of the, the, the lowest performer. What if we have to manage that? And where we should flip it and go, well, how do you create a process that enables people to work really well? And then if someone's not meeting that expectation, then we can, we'll deal with it when it happens. Um, you know, if you flip it and start going, well, how do we create an environment where there's parameters in which we work, we set some expectations, and then we ask people to make adult decisions. If someone steps outside of that, we're on it and we have a conversation. But within that, we let people, because we hire great people generally. You know, every organization's always going on about, oh, we, we hire the best. We want to hire great talent. Well, if you do, you need to give them the space and the tools to go and get the job done. Um, don't hire great people just to tell them what to do. That's kind of the, the message. Yeah. On both of your points, then I've, I've just I've just been thinking. And do you do you see HR as it's known now evolving and almost kind of leaving behind that badge um, as it starts to grow and become more agile, more forward thinking, more more flexible? Um, do you think that businesses will look at some of the i mean look at some of the things that tom mentioned there um and think actually that's that makes us feel sort of i guess a bit old-fashioned and we're trying to become this sort of forward-thinking function in the same way that our, our tech and our product divisions are do you can, can you can you see businesses almost moving on from that badge that hr badge i think that you know a modern hr team is not called a hr team i think there's far too much stigma and and you know baggage associated with the term hr I agree with what you say there. I think a modern HR team or a modern people team looks no different from any other product team. They are part and the foundation of an organization. They help bring people in, they help people move on to different places and they keep people performing, removing the blockers for those people and, and create the best experience possible. And because, and you know, people are, people are the foundation of a lot of organizations. It's not just the tech, tech is driven by people. So I think modern people experience teams, modern HR teams really need to shift their focus away from risk avoidance, risk mitigation, and finding a way to kind of like bring that excellence to the surface, finding a way to promote kind of like that culture, make sure it's brought to the surface, make sure it's entrenched in what's going on and, and stay 
and stay relevant, but also help the business stay on top of itself, you know, at, at the highest level of performance. I suppose it's like having a really, it's like having a, an organizational coach across the entire organization. It is. Yeah. It's, um, and it, there's a lot of crossover between agile coaches and, um, even though that's freaks out agile people. And I suggest that, that, you know, HR business partners and agile coaches really similar. They're like, Oh my God. Um, yeah, I can hear the sirens. Exactly. The agile police have been notified. <laughs> I have, I've had people on LinkedIn kind of get quite upset about that. Um, so exactly. And, you know, um, so whether you're, you're, you know, and there's another great uh, uh, company in Leeds that do this really well. They're kind of they're the people experience team or the people operations and they, um, and they, so there's some, I think there's actually starting to be some great examples across um, organizations across the globe now that have really embraced this kind of approach. They're generally not called HR, the teams anymore. They're called something like you know, people and culture or people experience. The only problem is what also happened is you had a, a lot of HR teams rename themselves but not change. Um, and so that's also kind of muddied the waters a bit where you've got, you know, people calling themselves, you know, oh, head of people experience, but they're still working in that kind of more legacy way. So I think that's the danger now. Um, but that, that's, I think that's the nature of when a profession starts to evolve a bit. So, um, I'm sure yeah, Tom's and, seen plenty of tech teams who call themselves agile. Oh, well, I was going to say, this, change is, as well. this is true. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, you know, it's a problem shared. Let's face it. Uh, you know, exactly. So there's, um, there's good and bad, uh, examples, but definitely I, I think there's a, I, I've been really amazed. What's also been interesting, uh, as a kind of way of, um, sort of, adding on to that is that the the pandemic has actually served to make a lot more of HR go oh I need to actually know how to do this because the pandemic was really interesting it forced HR to work with minimal viable products it forced HR to reprioritize constantly it forced HR to realize that they needed to keep their people safe uh, as well as help the business you know respond to disruption and change suddenly your policy didn't work because suddenly everyone had to be working from home. So you had to quickly rewrite your policy or just chuck it in the bin. And this was really interesting because it made a lot of HR teams go, oh, okay, actually maybe writing the policy as the first step isn't the way to go anymore. And we should actually go and find out the right, you know, build the right solution and then look at what kind of documentation or something you need behind that. Um, and a lot of teams have realized the only way to actually approach things like hybrid working is to do it in a more iterative way. So it's it's kind of been good in that sense, not that you should ever say a pandemic is a good thing. <laughs> I completely agree. I, I, th I think the I think that the agile and, and, and that process of iteration is is tailor-made for the for the HR world. When you're working in a HR function, you're working with the most volatile products of all, as we said earlier, and that's people and people change and they change all the time and it's hard to predict and it's difficult to measure. So iteration and an agile mindset is is almost imperative to deliver change that that properly lands, that has an impact, that doesn't have an immediate sell-by date. Um, so thank you for for leading the way in this space and, um, and thank you for joining us. It was um, an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> You're very, very welcome. Um, we'll give you this opportunity now to plug any of your social pages, um, the business or anything that you anything that you wish. So um, 
feel free to uh, to go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I am well, I'm pxoculture.com and we do lots of meetups. So please come along. And I'm on LinkedIn. I believe I'm the only Natal Dank um, <laughs> on LinkedIn. So I'm usually very easy to find. And my Twitter, but I'm not as very good as tw- at Twitter, but it's at Natal Dank. Awesome. And and if and if you're agile police, um, just yeah, go somewhere else. <laughs> no, well, I've been approved. I've been approved, so I'm okay now. I'm okay. Okay, okay. come back. Cool. Come back. You're cool. <laughs> you're cool. Yeah, you're cool. Thanks so much for listening to the Retro Podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Take care and uh, look after yourselves. Goodbye.